Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, hour number two is here. Hutton and Withrow for Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Coming up in about 15 to 20 minutes, Scott Stallings, PGA Tour professional, tied for 26th at Augusta National this past weekend. He'll tell us about the course conditions, the rounds overall for him, and what he observed after he finished. And we had the big finish yesterday for John Rahm. That's straight ahead. Plus, uh, Sam Bennett's week in Augusta and what he's doing today at the A&M Invitational. And uh, a bit later, Jim Williams joins us, the media analyst and the uh, Emmy Award-winning producer who was quoted in the article last week for CBS Sports in regards to the Pac-12's future and their TV contract that must be negotiated. And when it does happen likely not going to feature a schedule where 50% of all games will be televised. That's coming up in hour number three. Can I peel the curtain back just briefly here on this? So a week ago, you know, we'll be reading, getting ready for the show and seeing what's going on. And I saw a tweet with a quote from Jim Williams, a media analyst. I'm thinking this is a very interesting quote. And I look it up, and I'm like, okay, this guy does media analysis for various leagues and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. Be a good guest to have on to talk about Pac-12 media rights. So I just do a Google search, and I send Davey, our producer, um, a LinkedIn account to a Jim Williams who works in media. And Davey, without just saying anything initially, later that day I ask him, I say, so you know what, what's, how's it going with Jim Williams? And he says, well, you sent me the LinkedIn account of a different Jim Williams that works in media. So I had to get through that first, then eventually found the right Jim Williams. And now we're going to get that Jim Williams on. So I said, oh, I'm sorry. This guy also worked in media. So maybe he's just on the coattails of this Jim Williams. I feel like that could be a very common name. It's it's definitely a very common name. But to find like Jim Williams at Mediascape dot whatever on LinkedIn and to look Jim Williams media consultant and have two different Jim Williams media consultants pop up, that's a little more unlikely. I agreed. Uh, This one was quoted by Dennis Dodd. We'll dive into the details of the negotiations that are not happening right now. Hutton's going through, like, you mean there might be more than one Jim Williams? (laughs) (laughs) It's like uh, meet the parents. You think the crazy folks at Samsonite maybe made more of one of this type of suitcase (laughs) in a crazy scheme to try to turn a profit, that there could be more of the same thing? Chad, you know where I stand on this. I, I initially, I was surprised to see what Baltimore gave Odell Beckham Jr. when they did. Because based on the timing of where we are in the offseason and the money that they would have to dish out, and by the way, the other teams that were involved, I'm thinking, well, you just wait until after the draft and then you have the opportunity to assess where you are in the offseason and... If you need another receiver, cool. If you need a number one receiver, he's still there. But what Baltimore did not have the luxury of was what Kansas City, which I thought made the most sense for him, with Patrick Mahomes, and what the Jets, who 
know they're going to get Aaron Rodgers at some point. They don't necessarily know in Baltimore who their quarterback's going to be. And this is a step towards helping to ensure that that happens for Lamar Jackson. Of course, on social media, Odell Beckham Jr., he's uh, showing the FaceTime with Lamar, and you can see the reaction from both. Tags him on his Instagram story. And while the price tag was steep, by Baltimore jumping in and giving him exactly what he was asking for, the Ravens said, hey, here's exactly what you need. We've met with you. We chatted at the owners' meetings. Let's get it done. It's an aggressive move for a team that wants their former MVP quarterback to return. They're still in conversations with Lamar Jackson. But here's the other thing to factor in. Another aggressive move would be to trade Lamar Jackson to move up and draft your future quarterback. That that is a possibility I thought about. And knowing that you have have the luxury of an offensive coordinator there now that coached him in Cleveland with the Browns, and I'm, I'm speaking of Odell Beckham Jr., and knowing that when healthy... He is very productive, especially in impactful moments of games, playoff games. Chad, I, I still believe Baltimore doesn't necessarily know what Lamar's going to do, but they have given them abil- the ability now to a number one receiver with they've traded away when Jackson was there full time. And if he returns, they've ensured that he's got the number one receiver that he's been clamoring for to open up more of the offense. I think the, the scenario that to me is most likely is that Baltimore knows there's not a great market for Lamar Jackson, which I think is kind of crazy. But I think they feel that way right now, that there's teams that just aren't willing to give up what they have to give up and pay Lamar Jackson what he wants that's out there. So they feel like they're the best bidder right now. They're, they're the best opportunity to land him. And they're confident in doing it because – Two sides of this. One, Baltimore should not make this move unless they're really confident, borderline 100% sure Lamar Jackson is going to be their quarterback. The other possible caveat to that is what Hutton just mentioned, if they want to trade up and get one of these top quarterbacks in the draft. And if you're Odell Beckham Jr., you don't, do, you don't sign with the Ravens if Tyler Huntley's throwing you passes. I, I wouldn't think so. I mean, it can't just be all about the money right now for Odell Beckham Jr., He's looking at teams where he feels like he can go and be productive and win and win a Super Bowl. You can do that in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson as quarterback. Maybe you can win big with the right rookie quarterback also. All due respect to Tyler Huntley, this team's not winning a Super Bowl with Tyler Huntley. And that just doesn't make much sense for Odell Beckham Jr. So I believe that the Ravens feel like there's not a huge market and that they can smooth things over with Lamar Jackson, make him feel welcome again, Bring him back into the fold. And when you put the carrot out there of a star veteran wide receiver like Odell Beckham Jr., suddenly that makes the position Lamar's in in Baltimore look a little bit more appetizing. Yeah, yes. Uh, here's the other thing that's key to remember, though. It's a one-year contract. So if, if it hits the fan around the trade deadline and you don't have Lamar and you have a rookie and things aren't looking great, you can trade him to a playoff contender 
knowing that the contract's going to expire at the end of the year anyway. As a mercenary you, type You get deal. something yeah. for him. Odell, I'm saying. And he goes to a playoff contender and still has the chance to put up numbers and play for a contender and then potentially sign an extension, which was what he was going to try to do in L.A. and then towards ACL in the Super Bowl, but not before he made an impact in that game. I think it's a, it's a very smart move, uh, despite my ignorance on the timing of it, because the Chiefs have the luxury of waiting. The Jets were supposed to meet with him today, but they can also wait if they had to. I mean, they've added enough pieces and they have enough young talent around Aaron Rodgers to be just fine. And I, I do believe Rodgers is going there. They do too. And Baltimore has no assurance based on how things have gone in this whole offseason of Lamar Jackson saga and the fact that, you know, doesn't have an agent, so they're relying on him to pick up the phone, but he's telling on fans on social, hey, sorry, but got a bolt. I want to get paid. I, I think Baltimore made the right move because they, they've thrown the carrot out there, but even if he doesn't come back, they have a veteran wide out around a potential. If he doesn't come back, they're moving up high in the draft, right? Oh. I'm, I'm thinking more of along the lines of like a Indianapolis. But right? me- meanwhile, the money that Lamar Jackson wants went to a guy who's about to be deposed for by, 25th by a 25th woman. Yeah. And that's the crazy part about all this with the new story with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, he's, he's set to give a deposition this week in a sexual misconduct lawsuit uh, where he will do that. Let's see, it'll be the 25th sexual misconduct lawsuit filed against him. He settled with 24. With women. the other massage therapists. And my guess is he goes into this and answers everything the exact same way. He's already served his suspension of 11 games, came back after that. And in this lawsuit, Watson's alleged, uh, alleged to have attempted solicit sex acts, uh, including intercourse with the, the, the plaintiff, and this all goes back to 2020, uh, massage therapist. But this is the same storyline that we've heard. It's just coming from universal law group instead of what we saw down in Texas. I'm willing to bet not much comes from this. It is interesting. The one piece of it where he is being, uh, I guess, commanded to bring his phone and text information from his phone. in, in this part of the deposition, I, I don't know necessarily what that means or if there's any new info that comes out of it. But my guess is we probably find out about what we did with everything else, which is not a lot. And um, it, it is interesting that this is the one woman plaintiff that has not settled at this point where this is still going forward. Well, and this one came forward October of last year, I believe on top of what was already about to be settled uh, or excuse me, had already been settled going into the season where he already had the suspension and he was serving that. And until he's deposed, there's still a chance the thing does settle. Sure. And it could settle after that too. Yeah. With the, the civil case there. Um, also, You've got the you've got Joe Douglas saying that hey Aaron Rodgers is going to be here. I'm certain of this. Are Me you? Me too. Yeah. I mean, it's just a and matter for him of, to say it. He knows it's just little detail here or there that they have to clean up with the Packers to make it happen. Um, even though I'm, I am sure that it's not easy when your quarterback isn't necessarily on your active roster currently, your off season roster, and you're making moves around things. 
Uh, but the one team that's been given permission to work all this out are the Jets. Rogers camp has got to be telling them, hey, here's what we need. They've done that. Uh, they met with them. He claims that they just brought guys up and said, hey, what do you think about this guy or this guy? And of course, he's glowing about his teammates in Green Bay, but there's no coincidence they go out and bring those guys in like Alan Lazard. If there's some gulf between the two teams, then Douglas isn't saying this, even if it is at a fan event. They're very, very close to the point of it's just a matter of time. Douglas knows it. Gudenkist and the Packers know it. Yeah, It's going to get done. My guess is it gets done before the draft, and everyone gets what they want in the end. Maybe the Packers don't get everything they want from the Jets in this deal, but the Jets get their quarterback where they can make a run, and the Packers get rid of Aaron Rodgers, which, let's face it, they want to get rid of the headache. He would not return their text or calls before he went to the isolation retreat. They want to be done with the back and forth, and now Aaron Rodgers gets a new lease on life in Jersey with the Jets team that's set up from a roster standpoint to make a run at a Super Bowl based on the young talent on that team. So I'm here for the drama and the change of scenery for Rodgers. I think it's going to be an exciting season with him and the Jets. What was it like playing through the conditions at Augusta National for the recent Masters Tournament, the championship? Our next guest finished tied for 26th. Scott Stalling joins us next right here on Hot Mike. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The strong play on the course continues for our next guest. Hot Mike rolls on with Hutton and Withrow, 6th and Peabody, our location, with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Scott Stallings finishes tied for 26th at the Masters uh, and played very well on day one, day three as well. And Scott, thank you for joining us on a day where it's, it's an off day, the rare off day with the kids, and uh, I know you're enjoying that too, but man, you got to be thrilled uh, with, with overall, based on the conditions, how things played out for you. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a good week. Um, a lot of <laughs> strange turn of events with basically played in four seasons, but <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think you get to the point of where I'm at and say that you know that's what the goal was. Obviously, you want to be there on Sunday afternoon and uh, you know, kind of, you know, have and kind of feel what that's like. But basically, I came down to I had a, a, in the second round, I had a kind of rough seven, eight hole stretch where really struggled to kind of get the ball in the right position, especially around the greens with some wind. And, uh, you know, you get out of position there and start to have to try to fight back a little bit. And it's tough. But uh, happy way that, you know, first of all, felt very fortunate to even make the cut. Um, and, uh, and to get out there and take advantage of the opportunity I was given and move up the leaderboard and, you know, you know, give myself a chance to play two more days and, you know, kind of celebrate the weekend. A bunch of family came down and a uh, chance to spend it with my wife, and my kids and enjoy off day today as Hilton Hen. We get ready for RBC this week. I saw the big group photo too, which is awesome. And I, you know where I'm coming from on, on the, you got to feel great about it because the start and stop 
you mentioned the different climates. It was 80 degrees on Thursday, and it's cold on Saturday. What, what is that like to get going, play well, pause, get going again, and try to get back into that rhythm that you had already had? Uh, a little bit of it. I mean, you do it this long. I mean, you're going to, you're going to do that. You're going to deal with it and kind of know it comes with the territory, but I think there's a lot of things that, you know, people like they don't realize how much the golf course changes, especially with the rain and temperature and everything I had, uh, on Friday, I had 138 yards to a back pin on number 17 and Saturday from a tee box that from about 20, 25 yards closer, I had 210 yards. Wow. And the wind was, the wind was roughly the same direction, maybe just quartering just a little bit different, but just temperature and conditions and rain and everything. It was, to be honest, my caddies, like I'd never in my life did I think we'd have see numbers into some of these holes that we saw <laughs> just because of the, the wind direction and the rain and just everything that was, but uh, Augusta National showed off yesterday afternoon. The weather cleared, the sun sun came out, and it was beautiful. And, you know, nice way to end on Easter Sunday. Scott Stallings with us on Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Scott, did you uh, a- after your final round? Are you sticking around to see how things played out? Did you see the finish? Uh, no, I was I was already down the road getting a speedy ticket <laughs> on the way to Hilton Head. <laughs> so uh, uh, yes, Do that you... was uh, <laughs> the 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 Augusta National card did pretty good in Augusta, Georgia. But as soon as we got outside the state lines, uh, they were waiting for us. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking you can't but, uh, you can't I, pull I, the I, Do you know who I am card and say you know I just played at Augusta National on Sunday at the Masters. Can you let me go here with a warning at at this point? No, the the guy I was asking, he's like, you don't have any registration. I was like, no, you know, it's a it's a, a dealer tournament car, and that just raised a whole nother <laughs> myriad of questions. And I, I still had the decal on that kind of lets you in and out from uh, from the course. And I think they were trying to make sense of first of all the fact that I didn't steal this car, but um, my wife and my kids are in there. My family's making fun of me because I was going too fast, and you know, some little country back roads, but. Uh, I, I did see the end. I saw that, you know, John won. I, I have no idea, like, the ins and outs of how it all played out. But um, uh, the round Phil Mickelson played uh, 65 on a Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it like, it was definitely scorable. But, I mean, there were some knife's edge, you know, pins where, you know, if you weren't right where you needed to be, you were going to struggle. And uh, but I think that's the way they want it to play. The course is very receptive, but uh, penal if you got out of position. So the round he played was incredible uh, with all the scrutiny and everything that he was dealing with. But hats off to John. Him and Adam have done an unbelievable job this year and uh, you know, very deserving of number one in the world. You mentioned some of the scrutiny for Phil Mickelson, but the galleries, the patrons were very loud for him on Sunday with that performance. How much does experience on that course play into that, Scott? When you watch a guy like Mickelson that's so familiar with that course over the years, won his first major in 04 at the Masters, when you see a round like that on a Sunday, how much does his experience play into his great play? A lot. I played with uh, VJ Singh the first two rounds, and uh, he told me when when they have to think about the number, you know it's a lot. And he said he thought that was his 30th Masters. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> and he said, "I think." <laughs> uh, 
So it was funny just to, to play with him and have a chance to, you know, kind of pick his brain and, um, you know, he, uh, VJ didn't hit it like he used to and this and that, but, you know, barring, a uh, two, you know, kind of, you know, suspect holes in 36 being that the fact that we played in a crazy amount of wind and some rain and, you know, uh, we got called off the course for 10 minutes and put right back on and kind of some starting and stopping. Like he would have made the cut. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was crazy to see like how he just kind of plotted his way around and, um, you know, experiences everything, especially around there of knowing, you know, where to be, where not to be. And when you're in, a, if, if you're in out of position early, how to get back as a position as fast as you possibly can. And the only way you know that is to do it and experience it. One person can tell you, but uh, none of us got to where we are in our careers by just like listening to someone else telling us what to do. We, we, we went out there experiencing it. It's like, whether it's right or wrong, you, you know, players want to see it for themselves. And, um, I know I've de- definitely been there as well. And, uh, there's a couple of shots that I did this, this past weekend that if I was given the opportunity to, I would have handled it a lot differently and I'll be more prepared for it next time. Scott, I'm amazed that John Rahm is, is only 28 years old because I feel like we've known about him for so long and he's got such a, mature sense about him uh not just the way he looks but the way he sort of carries himself how good is that guy to to be 28 now to get that second major and to get his first masters uh i think a lot with the who he surrounds himself with uh adam hayes is his caddy and uh you know he, that guy has nothing but respect from players caddies alike and uh, the way he handles himself and, you know, kind of on and off the golf course and helps his guy get prepared to play uh, week in and week out and kind of manage, you know, both life in and outside the ropes uh, kind of goes a long way. And, you know, the crew of dudes that he has around that kind of helps him get better are great. You know, some of the best in the world at what they do. And, um, you know, Phil was right when John came out that John would be number one in the world at one point. It wasn't a matter of if, just a matter of when. And, uh, you know, definitely a, a five tool guy as if you want to use that in the world of golf like they do in baseball but uh, there's not necessarily a, a flaw in there and if you can find one it's very small do you and when when he's at his when he's at his best like it's you know just like rory when rory's at his best he's very difficult to beat yeah I mean, that, I mean, he's rolling right now same for scheffler who was around that mark too uh throughout the the early portion of this tournament uh scott with Give us the best behind-the-scenes story that, you know, a year or two from now, whenever you're doing these interviews, someone will ask you about, oh, give us a story about Augusta. What Does anything come to mind from this weekend? Uh, the 12th tee box. That's the stuff that, like, people don't see. So uh, the 12th tee, they had us teeing off from, like, one area in the practice round to kind of keep the grass and because they, they back and forth between two tees that are side by side, but just on different levels. And we were the second group out on Thursday and the back of the tee honestly looked like by the end of the practice days looked like a, basically of you went down to McCabe at the driving range right down the road from y'all studio. And that's what the, that's what the back of this tee box looked like. Nothing against McCabe, but yeah. just, just very, very yeah. well used. It's not a gust. There's no PGA and tour got, events going on in McCabe for those that aren't familiar with McCabe. Yeah. That's what we're saying. And we went and we came there the next day and BJ walked up there and said, this place is incredible. 
And I didn't know I, it was beautiful. The weather was awesome on Thursday and every, and I didn't know what he was speaking about. He looked at, and they had completely resodded the entire back of the tee box overnight. Wow. <laughs> what did, what did it just like you'd no, go ahead. And sorry. you just like, never, you, you just never like that just doesn't happen anywhere else. <laughs> Were you on and it the course? Like it had been there for years. Were you on the Were you on the course where the when the trees fell? No, I was. I had just finished. Uh, that was a couple groups after me, but I had some friends and family that went back out to watch some of the groups behind because that was when they the start and the stop from when they they thought we were getting pulled off and putting back on and all this and that, and they were out there when it happened. That is nuts, and I mean that is right in front of the seventeen tee box, and. You know, that's a huge blessing that no one was hurt and no one was in the way, but those trees are enormous. Anyone that's ever been there around the tee box and you literally went there the very next day and, you know, had honestly never knew what had happened, but anyone knows of anything about Augusta, <clears throat> excuse me, if a tree falls on the property, they make these, uh, basically like homages to the tree that fell, the Eisenhower tree, all the ones kind of falling all over the property. And they make, you know, furniture or bowls or all sorts of different things uh, throughout, give it to members, you know, as gifts or whatever. And they had a brand new bench built on the first tee. And I asked the member that was on the tee giving guys like, you know, scorecards, pin sheets, stuff like that. that any way to guess if that came from the tree that fell down? He said, I can't say yes, but I also can't say no. Wow. And he said, and it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> and it was literally the next day. <laughs> wow. I, I hope my death is as honorable as that tree's death that we saw. That's, yeah. that's incredible. <laughs> so Scott, um, every time I watch golf, if you watch enough, and obviously I, I've never been a PGA professional, but I learned something new. We talked about this last week, but just a caddy putting up the number five and saying five on a five iron on a shot is against the rules because caddies, they can talk to each other, but you can't give playing advice to another caddy or another player. What, what, what did you make of this? And honestly, I never knew that was a thing. I thought if you were buddies, you could talk and around and you know share some not advice, but hey, this is what I'm I'm shooting on this shot. But that's not the case. Uh, I, technically, yes, but that's one of those things that if you went to every par three and every, unfortunately it's part of the game. And I like, I don't, there's not a player in the locker room that thought anything of that. And, you know, it, uh, unfortunately of who it was and the situation it was and, and everything, just looking for an opportunity to, to bring and, you know, sort of put Brooks in a bad light, but there's not a single guy on the tour or anyone that has anything bad against it, but him, Ricky, Gary or Butch, Gary's caddy, you're just kind of about the whole way that's just completely blown out of proportion. And, you know, the hard liners were probably, yes, you know, penalized or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, man, you still got to go out there and execute and, and, and kind of deal with it like everyone else. So I, as a player, I could completely care less about any of that. Scott, one more quickly, if you don't mind, because we're going to dive into this as soon as we let you go. What do you think the week was like for Sam Bennett? And the way he played as the as the amateur and was in contention on Sunday. Uh, I actually had a uh, opportunity to play with Sam. I know I talked with you guys last week, but I played with Sam Sunday afternoon and knew nothing about him other than the fact that you know he was, uh, seemed like he was you know very confident in his abilities as far as the way he handled some of his interviews and everything at the USAM. 
and played with him and he was nothing but the opposite. Uh, Ask a lot of questions, um, still very confident, but in a way of like, all right, you've done this a lot more than I have. Um, I'm going to try to pick your brain for this nine holes. And, and him and his caddy, his coach at Texas A&M were great dudes and uh, very complimentary of just the way they handle themselves on the golf course. And uh, to put yourself in that situation, considering the, the conditions that they had to deal with and kind of managing that with the, with playing with the players that they play with in the grouping, you know, master champ, number one player in the world uh, and go out there and kind of, you know, definitely hang in there, hold their own and put themselves in the last group on, on the third round. The Masters is pretty impressive. Um, so it's got a bright future ahead of him and, uh, you know, got a good head on his shoulders and, you know, anything can happen, but it was pretty cool to see, you know, how, how far he came in a, in a big stage in a very short week and a opportunity that he had not been in before. Hey man, you've been great to us. This this was great perspective earlier in the week, last week, and then of course today as you uh, played and, and played very well at Augusta. And the road trip now moves from Augusta to Hilton Head, and you've got the uh, the family with. Tell the family we said thanks on the day where you've got the day off. Well, I appreciate you guys very much, and y'all can uh, have at it, and look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Yeah, man, it was great following you. Thanks, last Scott. Week. Yeah, thank you. All right, see y'all. Yeah, man. Uh, there's Scott Stallings finished. Uh, Tied for 24th. Not bad. Not bad at all. Oh, being there on Sunday is good. Yeah, being there on a Sunday, that's that's not a bad thing. Um, How about I, that tree? Immediately turned incredible. into a bench. That's incredible. Like that, I don't. I, I the the amount of stories that come out of this weekend. Adam Scott was telling the story about the Champions Dinner, where there's no assigned seats, but there are. Like he's got he's got his special spot. And then it's like the high school lunchroom. He sits next to Trevor Immelman on his right, and then he's got Marco Mira on his left, and then Tiger sits next to next to him, and then next to Tiger is Jack. You know, it's just crazy. Um, and then all the stories that come out of that dinner and the details of what you learn about all the guys around there. I think that's such an awesome. exclusive little club. That now John Rom joins of those Masters champions getting together for the dinners and everything else is that would to me that would be you know putting on the the green jacket winning it having that moment on the 18th green oh. fantastic but being an annual member of the club until your dying day as a former Masters champion that is awesome so um, I would I want to clarify something real quick so we talked we uh, Davy and I discussed before the show one day last week and I brought it up on the show. There was a player, uh, he, he was the, the club champion at Augusta National who was designated to be the, the fill-in, but he's only the fill-in, from what I read, if it's after the cut. So if you have an une- uneven amount of players, he fills in. There have been rounds where he has shot better than certain opponents, uh, has actually had a best score on a hole for a given round and more. But he has now aged out. And I mean that like, uh, that's what Augusta National told him. So there's now like a, I, I, they just had like a silhouette of a younger player. I don't know who it is at their course, that, a, a member-wise, but someone else has been designated to be that guy. How cool is that? That's awesome. Uh, and I, I never had any clue that was a thing. Remember years ago, Hutton, we had on our show, there was a guy named Tom. I forget his last name. But he had to play in an NHL game 
oh, for yeah. Chicago. He was the emergency goalie. Uh, the fourth goal, the third goalie, but the third goalie, it's a venue thing, and you're the emergency goalie for each team. Tom Tysowski. That's it, yeah. Was his name. And he was the Nashville guy from the Northeast, and he played for Chicago here in Nashville against the Predators when both their goalies went down, and he made a bunch of saves. I want to I want to say they won the game maybe also, but it was a huge story, and we had him on in studio and talked about it. I was fascinated because I didn't know it was a thing until this happened that every venue supplies an emergency goalie that's just there in a suite ready to go get suited Incredible. up if someone loses all their goalies in an NHL game, and it's some amateur guy that plays in a beer league. The rest of the time. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's made for movies. This also being a fill-in. It's cool. Like a yeah. seat filler for the Oscars, Knox, but for the Masters. Jeff Knox is his name. Um, I'd love to get that guy on the show. Absolutely. But I guarantee the Masters won't allow it. I don't know. I mean, he's he's a part of the rule, rule makers at Augusta. That's true. So he can, can he do what he wants? He just says, you know what? I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll so join we, you. We had the conversation earlier that it feels like Kepka, the major champion, is back. Right, even though he didn't win, major contender for the, sure. What we saw is that the old Kepka is back. I, I, the way Sam Bennett handled the whole week, and just to know that he leaves Augusta with his coach, who was his caddy. He does not have a swing coach. He was asked a couple of times this week about does he ever feel like he'll get to that part of his game where he's like, no, I don't think I'll ever have a swing coach. Because people are going to, he's like, people tell me I'm going to have back issues when I'm older. He's like, I'm so young, like, it's working. Well, it, it worked at Augusta, and then he arrives back in College Station. Great friend of the show from Texags, Billy Lucci, has the reaction as they, he's walking back in to the team facility there and to the standing ovation from off the tarmac. And he's got all the Aggies around him. He's returning. And he's participating today in the Aggie Invitational where he's playing 36 holes and he's not allowed to have a caddy. He has to carry his own bag. So he goes from finishing where he did yesterday, not able to take home any cut monetarily because of his amateur status, and then carries his own bag today for 36 holes. I love that story. I don't love the fact that he can't make money. We know the sponsorship dollars are going to pour in, but he can't make the, the winnings there. So it's, yeah, he can now make NIL sponsorship money all he wants, but not a, a direct pay for play. Yeah. As an amateur. It's, a, it's an incredible story. And I couldn't help but watch the kid over the weekend and think, we're going to be seeing a lot more of him. That's what I, yeah, I feel the same way. We're, we're going to see this guy that this feels like Tiger Woods, not, not that he's going to be Tiger Woods, but Tiger Woods at Stanford playing in the Masters as an amateur. You know, playing in certain pro events, starting out, not that level of hype, but I watch him play in his game and think, we haven't seen the last of young Sam Bennett. Yeah, and it, Chad, you know, uh, of course, he, he's at A&M. Yeah. He's, he's, the NIL game is the strongest there. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is for golf there, but I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think he's going to be fine, both as a professional and... He's got sponsorships on his shirt. Now, so if you remember, okay. Hutton, we've, we've had dinner at that course. Oh, That's his home course. Yeah. That is the A&M Country Club, essentially, where we were the night before the A&M Alabama game. And as I'm watching him, I'm thinking, I've, uh, 
I think I threw football to a little kid on the 18th tee box on, on that course when we were walking around the grounds one well, time. Because they had built Where a, a football Where Sam Bennett field. now marches around. So yeah, they had the mini football field next to the course. So the second place finisher. So, had, so here's the rule. Had Sam Bennett won the Masters, he would get the green jacket, but the second place finisher would have received the winner's purse based on the rules set. So in this case, it would have been Brooks Kepka and Phil Mickelson splitting $3.4 million. No, it would have been, just to in say, had it been, yes. Had it not and yeah, also included John Rahm. No, no, no. I'm saying if, if Bennett won the tournament. Yeah. And when Rahm wasn't there. Uh, John Rahm. Yeah, yeah, it would have been Rahm number two. Right. And he would have had the winner's yeah, What I'm saying anyway. is if Bennett was Rahm and won the tournament in this setting and there was no Rahm, there's a second place tie that would have split the winner's purse. Yes. In that instance. Yes. Uh, just a remarkable story. And remember the name. We won't soon forget it there. Uh, it, played a, it wasn't just a flash in the pan on Thursday like we thought. Consistent. And with all of the craziness on the course. And he's doing it with his golf coach at A&M as well. Saturday was miserable. Oh, looking. man. Yeah. Freezing cold, Let's, pouring rain. Yeah, I want to dive into the conditions on so Saturday bad. later in the show. We'll do, we'll do that uh, coming up. But when we return, the alternate broadcast, the big hit for Manning Cast and the NFL, where are we going to see it flourish next? And are we already seeing it right now in Major League Baseball? That's next on Hot Mike. Hot Mike rolls on. Manning Cast is a... Huge success for Monday nights on ESPN. And now, uh, seeing the numbers from, what, last week's numbers from the K-Rod alternate broadcast of Major League Baseball with Michael K and, and A-Rod, you've got uh, great numbers through Richard Deitch here. Phillies Rangers, 1.3 million viewers on Sunday Night Baseball. And then you have the alternate broadcast on ESPN2 averaging 245,000. So that's nearly 16% of the overall average audience, which he points out is very high for the alternate broadcast on ESPN2. And Chad, I mean, I major, uh, MLB Network did a version of this, and they've done it once or twice where they have Smoltz in, and they have just guys in studio just watching a game, and they're just chatting, right? But the alter, I think this is perfect for... Baseball, yes, based on the pace of play and the conversations that you can have out. And you can do this in the booth, too, in the main broadcast, which is also important. But the the opportunities that allow you to just put players in a room and do this, I think we should see more of this. Yeah, you're right about sports specific. Baseball is the perfect the amount of breathing the game does. Yeah. With foul balls and everything else. Perfect for. Let's have a conversation over the course of all of this, right? Golf is similar, but I think golf is kind of that anyways, just with the main broadcast of a discussion. And then it's so much silence. You want to let it breathe more where you're not talking. So I don't know that it's perfect for an alternate broadcast, but it does not surprise me that a celebrity to the level of A-Rod would have this percentage of viewers for Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN on the alt broadcast it also, to me, is a very good endorsement to just put A-Rod on the main broadcast, maybe. Could you add viewers? 
to baseball if he's just on the main broadcast? Or are you thinking, well, there are people that are just going to tune in just for him on the alternate broadcast, so you do it that way. This was also Sunday Night Baseball number one, week yeah. number one of the season. Uh, last night's game, I watched some between the Braves and Padres. It was a blowout quickly, and I, I couldn't find the alternate broadcast. On ESPN2, they had something different last night because I was, I was making a point to go watch okay. some of that. I don't know if they did it last night. I don't think so it's, it's an every-week thing. Okay, so it'll be the, the baseball version. Manningcast is not an every-week thing either. No. So maybe it's it's similar to that. I also wonder, like, can you get can you get the player that's cool with practically everybody, and then you pull in different guests throughout? So like, can you have Griffey on? Can you have Randy Johnson on? Greg Maddox, you know the Rivera. Just let just keep. It doesn't it doesn't have to be uh, pitching specific, but I mean. Can you have those types of conversations while Otani's at the play? Absolutely. You know, and and who's that perfect former player to host it? It might be Smoltz. Well, I think A-Rod can do it. They had um I mean he is a little bit different with his relationship with everyone. But yeah. I'm trying to think when I was watching the Phillies Rangers alternate cast, they had a former Yankees teammate of him that played a bunch of different places. And they would go in between pitches and much like the Manning cast would do, they would show footage of him hitting. They were showing his stance. Yeah. And he was explaining how his stance was like Trey Turner's or someone with the Phillies. I forget the specific example, but it was interesting to do the breakdown of that. Much like the Manning cast has the ability to show footage of Lil Wayne doing something, right? In between if he's the guest or sure. Tracy Morgan. That they can show now baseball. Will it bring in the level of celebrity to join A-Rod? Doubt it, the way the Manning brothers can bring in celebrities for theirs. But, yeah, I mean, former players that are big-time names, I think, would want to do this. I, I would think so. Also, like, ESPN's had success with the Manning cast. Will they branch this over into their contract with the SEC? Because there's another possibility there. Yeah. Just from SEC-specific conference games. And you can have oh, I your think main getting, host, and then you have special guests throughout the conference based on whether, whatever the nostalgia may be for that specific rivalry that week, the storyline from the previous week. You can tie everything in. I think the secret sauce, though, is chemistry. And the Manning brothers are so good, even on a slight delay when they're not in the same room. Yeah. They're in their individual homes doing it. They time it out well together. They have such a good rapport that it works. Michael K. and A-Rod have the same thing. They're in the same room. They're right there on sofas next to each other, you know, chatting about the game. So they're there. It's easier to have that chemistry one-on-one in the same room. Um, Hutton, what I would love to see with this idea, SEC or any college football big game, you get a really good media celebrity for one team and the other one. But if they don't know each other going in, I think you're going to get a big variance of what's good and what's not. Because some of these yeah. guys are going to be really good together, you know, and be able to play off of each other. Others are just going to be awkward. Well, it's got to fit the conference. Yeah. So, uh, Marty Smith comes to mind. I think he would be the great setup man to have w- pair him with another, uh, and not just another, just a, a legend that can care. Tebow, it could be a number of different, but they, they, I'm, I'm trying to find people that they already employ. And then from there, you have, I mean, the country music fan base across the Southeastern Conference 
Um, it seems like practically everyone's a fan of the Georgia Bulldogs now. But again, like you can tie yeah. in different uh, entertainment, uh, music, of course, uh, NFL stars that are on their bye week or something like it. It still gives you the same vibe and I think can have the same type of success, especially considering ESPN and Disney and they're all in with the SEC contract moving forward. They own it. I, I think that what Omaha Productions did, Peyton Manning's production company, in conjunction with ESPN, is such a high bar to set to start this thing off that everyone's going to try to reach it. These numbers are encouraging with Michael K and A-Rod on theirs. So now it's Let's find the right fit that has good chemistry, Mm -hmm. that's fun, that will attract good guests to join them during the alternate broadcast. If you can do that, you can mix all that together and you can have some big-time successes. Chad, John Rahm wins the Masters. He's a big-time success. Yeah. And he's big. Wins the green jacket. In general. And a number for what it costs to produce that jacket versus how we view it. I was surprised to learn this over the weekend. Plus, we dive into the headlines of the Mavs in jeopardy of losing their first-round pick. So they lost. That's next.